If you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. The title of the message today is, What is Wrong with Man? And uh, when I text the title out, I got several responses, and it seemed that some among you took that as, women are fine. <laughs> But there's something wrong with men. Well, ladies, you're right. There is something wrong with men. But that is meant in a general sense. What is wrong with mankind? And so we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. To those uh, whom I just met this past week who said that they intend to follow along I want to say to them, thank you for the great week that we had and for the great privilege of getting to know you, some of you a little bit better and renewing some friendships from the time that we had in Mexico Beach along with other places as well. What is wrong with man is a way of assuming that there is something wrong with man. I don't think very there would be very much disagreement on that very subject in Mech uh, not Mexico Beach but I guess that would be in evidence too but in Wynn Parish that I spent a weekend um, I found some of the same characteristics as we have in Westover and as we have in every community that I've been in today and I'm reminded of uh, the definition that I heard several years ago about the class, uh, about philosophy. I liked philosophy so much, I took it twice when I was in college. And it wasn't long before I realized that this is a very strange thing to a boy who grew up in southeast Missouri, uh, who shared a bedroom with his sister, living in a very tiny house. I'd really never been exposed to the things uh, that I was exposed to in philosophy class, such as, how do I know that I exist? Uh, you know, that's a rather strange idea. How do I know that I exist? And the response to that by one philosopher is, I know I exist because I say I exist. And so later a person said, well, this is what philosophy is. Philosophy is looking for a black cat in a dark room that doesn't exist. And I thought about that as I was thinking about this sermon, about what I rediscovered, if you will, in Wynn Parish, and that is there is a malaise in people's thinking about God. And in particular, the God that we know of Scripture, who is indeed the only God. So I want to talk about today what is wrong with man. And one would assume that there's really nothing new that is wrong with man. That is, Paul encountered people who had the same problem that uh, folks indeed have today. And I've mentioned this more than once, and that is they become a byproduct of stinking thinking. Whereas they have pulled together some rather inferior and uh, disconnected notions 
of who God is and who they are. And therefore, when you find yourself in the midst of that conversation, you feel like you're looking for a black cat in a dark room that doesn't exist. And if you've never been there, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But if you have been there, you would indeed know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 in just a moment. But I want to read a scripture from Proverbs chapter 14 and verses 11 and 12. But I didn't ask you to turn there because I thought it might be a little bit difficult to make your way back and forth. So... In Proverbs chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, it says, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death, or as the King James says, to destruction. Now we found ourselves in Louisiana, and I found this true in Tennessee, we found ourselves in places that we did not know where we were and had no real idea of how we were going to get out of those particular situations. There were times when we asked questions and we had people say, well, it's over there, but you can't get there from here. And so that made perfect sense after a while that we were in a place that there was no particular way to get out of there and to get where we needed to be. Now, we, of course, know that's not true. I'm here, right? So I must have got out of there. But as one former president said, we found ourselves in some sort of malaise. But worse than that is a theological malaise or a way of thinking about God that makes absolutely no sense which is what we encountered in more than one place. Now, to be sure, we found Christians, we found people who knew the Word, people who loved God, people who were given to hospitality, people that were generous and kind and thoughtful. We found all of that where we were, but we found the thing there, uh, what we found there was similar to what we found here, and that is that people are not really thinking this through and are willing to, if you will, bet their eternal destiny on something that makes absolutely no sense. Such as, I believe that you believe there is a God. I believe that you believe there is a God, so that works for you, but that does not work for me. That doesn't make any sense to me because there is either a God or there is no God in my opinion, and I know that there is a God. And so therefore, when we come to Scripture today and we ask this question, well, what is wrong with man? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. Ephesians chapter 2. So let me draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's make our way through this so that we might be able to think about what is, what is wrong with man. Well, he does not need to paint his car or to uh, do some, uh, some uh, things that would enhance his life. That's, that's really not what's wrong with man. What's wrong with man is, is he is sinful and he does not want to hear about this God who we proclaim because he is right in thinking that this God whom we proclaim wants to change his life. 
Now, I'm okay with that, aren't you? I'm okay with that. Uh, and feel free to say amen if you feel led to do so. I'm okay with the God that I serve wanting to change me. But do you know I met people today that said that they did not need, or this past week, that said they don't need change? They don't need to be changed? Chapter 2, this is what Paul wrote to not only the generation in which he ministered, but also to future generations because, after all, this is the Holy Spirit and he speaks beyond the moment, right? Stay with me now. I, want, I need you 15 that are here to stay awake. Please do so. And if we, if we need to run around the building in midstream, just raise your hand and we'll do so. All right. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now is that not a I'm not okay, you're not okay moment Amen. in Scripture. Amen? Amen. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved yes. and raised us up with him and seated us up with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and Amen. kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I shake my hand because of the people who refer to the Bible who are not really referring to the Bible. And I'll tell you in a moment what I mean by that. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. The only boasting you and I can do if we're saved is in Christ. We can boast about Him, what He's done for us, what He'll do for them. For we are His workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I could go farther and farther along in this passage, this chapter 2. Uh, we could miss any chance to eat this afternoon. Uh, I, could, I could go on and on because it talks about alienation. It talks about being cut off from God. It talks about the fact that we're going to get to now that man is dead. And it's hard to imagine man is really dead, but the Bible says so. In fact, if you look at this chapter 2, it says it more than once. In verse 1, it says that you were dead. In verse 5, it says it again. Even when we were dead, even when we were dead, when I was in New Orleans, I went to New Orleans first, 
and then uh, came north to Winfield, which is in the central part of Louisiana, and it turned out, of course, that the hurricane did not really affect New Orleans like they, they thought it would. And uh, so we went north, and then there'll be, a, there'll be several groups that are already on site in, in the panhandle of Florida and perhaps on Dolphin Island and Alabama and also in uh, Mississippi as well. Uh, but um, in, in, in talking to folks about this, you realize just how dead they truly are dead. Uh, for folks to believe that the way they are is the way they should be. For folks to believe that the way they are is the way they have to be. For folks to believe that the way they are is the best way to be. The only way you can truly explain it is to say they're dead. So when I was in New Orleans, of course, because of the water table there, and I don't have all the the, the ways of talking about what I saw, so I'll just kind of do my very best. As you know, uh, people are buried above the ground. Now, it wasn't that way in Wind Parish, but but it but it, it was that way in New Orleans. Some of you know more about it than I do. But anyway, depending on whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic, uh, you are still buried above ground, but the Catholics, it appear, have a little bit more fancier burial site, at least for what I saw, than the Protestants do. But initially, something that they do that is quite different than what we do is that they'll bury a person in a, in a, in a tomb, if you will, for lack of a better way of describing it, and it looks like kind of like a small little house. Uh, and they'll, it'll have a little door and it'll have a little screw slot on it or a key slot or whatever it may be, I guess, so making sure nobody gets out. And uh, so anyway, and they, they open that door and uh, they can place the deceased in there. Now, because of the heat and the humidity, there's a rapid uh, degradation of the body. And so when the body turns to bones, which it inevitably is going to do, they're able to extract those bones and move them over to another side, and then it's now available for another body. And so there will be numerous people that have been buried in that very place. So it's something quite different than what you and I are used to, and uh, there, I think I saw where five or six persons were listed. Uh, there. Um, but having said that, as you know, over time, that just becomes full of dead men's bones. And that is really the condition of man. He has been blinded by the things of this world, which are nothing. As one person said, I just like to watch Superman. And scary movies. Heart captured by Superman and scary movies.
Now, when you and I go into these situations, there is something that goes through our mind that, that we have to rethink to some degree. And I'm reminded of Paris Reedhead, a missionary of the, the last century, and he wrote a book called Getting Evangelical Saved. My brothers and my sisters, we might need to dwell on that just a little bit, especially at this moment. Getting evangelicals saved. But in a, in a recent, and I, I, I shared some of this with you last week, but in a recent Pew Research poll, 30% of evangelicals, now if you don't know what that means, that means they assent to certain doctrines concerning the Christian faith, and we would consider ourselves among evangelicals, uh, but among evangelicals, 30% of them denied the deity of Christ or said they don't believe Jesus is divine. We have more problems today than we even know about. But anyway, Paris Reedhead said that and, he, and he, he was basically one who went to did what we would call disadvantaged or poor tribes of, of the world, in particular Africa, to share a gospel message. And so when we go into those situations, one of the things that goes through our mind is, man, we're taking a good message. We're taking, is, is the gospel good? Yeah, it's a good message, right? So when we're taking a good message, a message of hope and transformation and uh, a message of heaven. And he, he explains in his sermon that he thought in taking that message to them that they would welcome that message. But he found out they didn't. He found out in fact to the contrary that they loved their sin. And that's what I found. You see, the message of the book of Acts is not God is love. Now, 1 John, that's true. John 3, 16, that's true. God is a God of love. I'm not here in any way to suggest He's not. We went because of God's love. We said, to folks, uh, God loves us and God loves you. And we're here to tell you that. Amen. But the message of the book of Acts was not God is love. The message of the book of Acts was repent. Repent. Because see, the message of God is love, if it stands alone without the call to repentance, is a false message. Amen. It implies to the sinner that God is tolerant of your sin. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, this is the message that we preach. And that message is, man apart from God is dead. He's dead. He's dead in his trespasses and sin. And he's unable to come to God. But he is blinded by the things of this world. The world will blind you. I don't want a God who will take me away from what I'm doing. He's blinded by the world. You know, Paul spoke about what he had left behind and what he considered it to be. 
Have you ever heard anybody give a testimony where it sounds like they're kind of a little bit sad that they left behind what they left behind? I have. I've heard people in various stages of their Christianity talk about their former life. And they would talk about it as if, my goodness, I left a lot. My goodness, I left a lot. Now, to the world's way of thinking, that may be true. But here, listen to what Paul said. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, 8 and 9, he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Do any of you know what rubbish is a synonym for here? Garbage. Or can we go farther? The King James translates it as D-U-N-G. Dung. Fertilizer. Paul said that in knowing Christ, everything that I left, I consider it to be fertilizer. He goes on to say, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. He's blind. He's absolutely blind. How in the world can anybody tell me they love Superman and scary movies. More than wanting to be introduced to this gospel of Jesus Christ. So man is blinded by this world, whether he's at Wall Street or underneath the bridge. You don't think folks can be blinded by the world that live under the bridge or however you want to say it, whatever metaphor you want to use? Absolutely. They sure can. We come to Jackson, there's, uh, I don't know his name, but there's a, one man in particular that's always on the corner. He's got his cardboard sign. He always is almost, almost always in the very same place. Whenever we come. Which would he prefer? Silver or gold? Or Jesus? The Bible says man is dead. He's a corpse. He's lifeless. He can't find his way out of the malaise that he's in. And in some cases, he's not open to what good news there is. Man, the Bible says that for man who is outside of Christ, he is a dead man walking. He can't worship. He can't have true joy. He can't experience the fullness of love. He has substituted something else for all of those things. And Paul said, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Can I ask you today, do you love any dead people? Yes. Now, I'm not talking about people that passed away during your life or before your life. 
I'm talking about people that you know today that are dead. Unsaved people are already dead. I hope so. That you love some dead people. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says man not only loves his sin and that man is dead, but man is alienated. He is cut off from God. He is unable to come to the truth about anything. In verses 12 and verses 13 and even going down farther in this very chapter, it says remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated. Far off. Which is different than being far out. Far off. Distant. Man is alienated. You remember the gulf that existed between the rich man and Lazarus? Remember that? Remember that, that all the rich man wanted was for someone to touch his tongue? For he was tormented in the flame. And the word came, well, he, Lazarus can't go over there. Because there's a gulf affixed between the two. And you don't go back and forth. And man is alienated from God. He is cut off. He is eternally separated. He may experience some of the good things of God in this life. But he does not know saving grace. You know, one of the things that always occurs to me, and I, I assume it would occur to you as well, and probably has occurred to you, is, is that if you could only know what I know, right? If you could only know what I know. If you could only know what I know. If you could only know the joy that comes in a personal relationship with Jesus. If you could only know the changed life that God brings in Christ. Man is alienated, man is dead, and man is a poser who says incredible things without any evidence that they are true. For example... One man that I spoke to told me that the Bible was written by men and full of contradictions. And I said, because I said, would you agree that a man like me ought to know that? And you know what he said? I don't like to argue. Could it be that he was willing to gamble his own soul on something that was not provable? Is it possible? I think so. That's what dead men do. After all, they're irrational. I think in the Bible it says when he came to his right mind, which is another way of saying man is out of his mind. But the good news in chapter 2 is, is that men can be saved and men are being saved. Is that right? 
You don't want to just hear some negative news. You want to hear some good news, right? So we encountered people that needed and wanted to hear the gospel. Their hearts had been stirred and the gospel message spoke to them. We met people who once were and were no longer that way because God had changed their lives. We met people who encouraged us more than we can encourage them. We stood by the road with, with a lady, and I won't call any of them by name, but we stood by the road with a lady whose heart broke out in song and tears as she rejoiced over what God had led us to do for her. We met people who, like the song says, what a wonderful change in their life had been wrought since Jesus came into their heart. Amen. We met people who welcomed us as if we had always been there and as if we were their long-lost son, just as the prodigal's father did. We met people who knew him and had been saved by him and had been transformed by him and were willing to pay any price to make sure that those who had not heard had the opportunity to hear. I say hallelujah. Amen. We bore witness to the Christ of Calvary who changed us. And because he's changed us, we felt like he could change them. We bore witness to the fact that man apart from God is unsaved and about to have split hell open. But that's not necessary. That man can be saved. He can go to heaven and he can know not only there is a heaven, but he is going there. We spoke to people who barely spoke English. We spoke to people who were not like us, who didn't look like us, did not grow up like us, and gave them a gospel message, the gospel message. Did we sow seed? Yes, we sowed seed. Were we saddened because the seed we sowed had not bore fruit at that moment? Yes. Did we pray and hope it will someday? Yes. 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 Verse 13 and 5, it says we were distant. We were once a people that had no hope. You who are far off in verse 13 have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were dead in your trespasses and sins because of the rich mercy and the great love of God wherewith He loved us, He has made us alive. He has brought us to life. It was a good, it was a good experience again. It was a good opportunity again. Me and a couple of, me and three old people played basketball. Wow. And I, I once again proved to them how good I was. <laughs> they have moved the goal up higher since I used to play. Notice that it's, it's higher. And people you play with that are in their 50s and 60s don't move that well. And therefore, they can get in the way of whatever you would like to do. I, I had in my notion that I was going to dribble down the court and dunk it. But this older man got in my way and I was unable to do it. 
very disappointing. When we met people, and I want you to know, there are more people than just here today that love Jesus. Amen. And they'll pick up leaves. They'll pick up sticks. They'll pick up limbs. Can I say this? If there's any ladies watching this, I don't, I'm not just saying this because I want you to like me. You are awesome. The hardest workers of the group was the ladies. Now, I'm not, I'm not dissing any of the men. These ladies worked. They worked hard. Everybody did. I don't think they ever stopped. I enjoyed watching them every once in a while. That kind of reminded me of Snow White. The, the seven dwarfs, you know, just kind of, there, there you go. And we didn't have sleepy or dopey in that. <laughs> but we met people who will pay any price to get the gospel. And so for that week and for any week, I'm your missionary. And thank you for your prayers and your support. But unless it's a supernatural work, it's not going to happen. Some of you think, well, you know what, if I had all the intelligence, and I'm being kind of facetious here, now, Brother Stan, I could convert people. Nah. You know what people do when you start honing in on them. They take off running. That's open. What about this? They don't care for that. You were standing before God tonight or today. Why would you tell him he should let you into heaven? You know what saved people said? I don't know. I know, right? I don't know. Which brings me back to that book, Why Evangelicals Need to Be Saved. Because there's a lot of folks in our Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your message today, not because I delivered it, but because we believe that you are the one that sent it forth through Paul and through your servant here at Westover today. Father, bless this gospel. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name.